Friends, welcome to this episode of Leadosophy. You are here with an open mind because that is the rule, not the exception. Today's topics, we're going to talk about communication and dialogue, empowerment, value and utility of the workforce, and then how democratic should you lead? How much voice should you give to your workforce, to your employees? How much say should they have in the organization, the direction of the organization? We're going to talk about that and we'll dive into some more on this episode. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, friends, welcome back to Leadosophy and the open mind that you're bringing to the table, whether you are watching or listening. I am grateful. I got a little fan that's on the floor. Hopefully you can't hear it. Uh, for, I probably haven't told the story yet, but my wife and I recently moved. I did tell that story, but the the bottom line of the story is that my new podcast room, my office, is quite hot. It is an inferno, even with the air conditioning on. So I have to turn the ceiling fan off the podcast because it makes a pretty, pretty loud ruckus. It makes the blinds shimmy and shake. And it's, it's kind of distracting when I'm, when I'm recording and you can probably hear it as well. So I got a little, little floor fan that's on the floor now and cooling off leadosophy a little bit. So hopefully you can't hear that. But anyways, we're diving in here. Okay. So I was inspired to do this podcast and I'm going to leave it as kind of a not a surprise, but I'm going to leave it to the end of what caused, caused me to do this podcast. What was my genesis? Where was the idea born from or out of? But I want to talk about leading democratically. How much voice do you give people? I kind of mentioned that in the intro. How do you take care of your diamond in the rough employees? You know, the one in a million that kind of make that make your company tick. The ones that you want to groom and foster to maybe be the next generation of C-suite leaders within your organization, potentially. Some questions Leadosophy has to get your mind moving in the direction that I, that I want to go, right? The first one is how far should a leader or a leadership team extend empowerment throughout the organization? Who should have a say in the direction of the organization? Is it just the C-suite team? Is it your mid-level managers? When do the people in the trenches when do they get to have a say in the actual direction of the organization? How much of a say should they have? Can you give everybody a say? Is that possible? Or are you asking for disastrous consequences? Kind of mob rule at the end. Beyond the human resources department, who should be involved in hiring and firing decisions? If your organization plans on hiring a new director of sales or marketing, we'll call it marketing, should the most senior person in the marketing department have a voice in that decision? If you answer yes, why not extend that, that choice or that decision-making process to the next senior person in the marketing department? Where does the road to decision-making empowerment end and where does it begin? And again, I, I'm not pretending I have the answers to all these questions. I think every situation, every scenario is unique and complex. I'm not dodging the questions. I'm just throwing the questions out now for people to think about it as we because I'm eventually going to talk about a scenario. We're going to dive into a little scenario that 
I kind of wrote up and I don't know, it might be kind of silly, but I think it'll, I think it'll give us an idea of, of what we, what we value in empowerment and how far we should go with empowerment. So another question, should an employee's worth or value to the organization directly correlate to how much say he or she has on organizational decisions, even if that employee is not a member of the senior leadership squad? If one of your employees wants to get involved in recruiting efforts, is this okay? Are you currently an employee who sees yourself as an ambassador for your organization? And by ambassador, I mean someone who explicitly goes out of your way to kind of paint the organization in a positive light. And if you're not an ambassador, if you don't believe in being an ambassador for your organization, why? Are there reasons why you wouldn't go out on a limb for your organization and say, say, hey, this is where you want to work. This is the place to be. What conditions might prevent you from doing that? If you're in a leadership role, are you creating the conditions within your sphere of influence that make people want to be around you and be around your organization to draw in people to your organization? Are you creating those conditions? Are you creating conditions? Are you creating soil that is not fertile for plants to thrive? Not just survive, for plants to thrive. It's the fertile soil analogy. I talk about this all the time. Knowledge, tools, resources. A fertile soil so the people can grow. Are you open to feedback about employee treatment? For example, your organization has a retention issue. Would you seek feedback from multiple layers of your organization? Would you take a sample from various layers? And conversely, if you are in one of those layers currently, do you feel like your voice would be heard? If not, why? So these questions are applicable for any leader, any follower, any role. Why do I say that? Well, the answer is both simple and complex. Philosophy, of course, right? Very philosophical, but very simple. It's simple because it comes down to value and utility, partly for me, maybe mostly. We want to provide value. We want to be valued. We want to add the utility to, we want to add to the utility of an organization. Its purpose, its objectives, its aims, where they want to go, the overall mission. We want to add to that, not detract from it. These are assumptions. Again, this is this in a, is, is an assumption or these are assumptions of what leadosophy believes humans want. Leadosophy tries to take the default mindset that humans are self-motivated. They want to do well. They want to be good at their jobs. They want to gain more knowledge. They want to be more productive. That's the baseline assumption that I start with, that leadosophy starts with. That's what I try to start with in a leadership position. When I was in a leadership position, look at all your employees through that lens first, not through everybody needs to be coaxed to do their job. They need some sort of incentive. And granted, there's people out there like that. Leadosophy realizes that. But if you just take the default mindset that everyone is self-motivated, that's the way you will lead. We lead, we lead based on our values our philosophy of leadership, our beliefs, our assumptions, whether it's human behavior or the way an organization should work. That's how we lead. That's the, the building blocks. That's the building blocks of our thought, of leadership thought, leadership concepts. Another reason why all those questions I talk about are important is because we want others to see our utility. If I feel that I'm an integral component of the organization, where the organization wants to go, 
if I feel like I'm an integral integral component of that process, then I might crave the dopamine hit that occurs when you say to me, Tim, you are vital to our organization's success. This feedback jacks me up, hypothetically speaking. I'm not in an organization right now. Should you provide that type of feedback as a leader to people, assuming that you truly believe that someone in your organization or some people who work for you truly are integral or a vital piece of your organization. Is everybody a vital piece of your organization? Yes, of course we can make that argument. It's the, the sum of the parts, right? Greater than the whole. Or the whole is greater than some of its parts. Something like that. I always forget, I always jack that, uh, that analogy up. Someone, someone shoot Lidosophy a message. Let Lidosophy know how bad we jack that analogy up. Anyways, all those questions, the answers to those questions I, I asked before, it is complex as well because every organization is unique. Even between two organizations within the same industry, each organization brings a particular, a peculiar leadership flavor. Each organization values employees differently, even if the differences are unnoticeable to outsiders. Each organization handles conflict and successes differently, approaches their objectives differently. Each organization uses a different philosophy to measure value and utility. What metrics are you using? In the end, each organization has a unique DNA, unique, unique DNA, unique profile, just like humans. Organizations are no different. So I want to I want to bring up a scenario. I want to talk about a scenario. And as I'm, I'm walking you through this scenario, you can think about this scenario kind of as if you are the person I'm talking about. Whether you are the, whether you are Becky or whether you are the COO of the organization, whether you're the CEO, you can be whoever you want. But I just want you to think about this scenario through the lens of leadership and the lens of followership, because I think that's important. And through the lens of What's the best for an organization? What direction should an organization go? Democratic leadership, things like that. All right, so here's a scenario. Let us, let, us, let us say that you are the COO of an organization and Leadosophy is not going to make any assumptions here. COO is Chief Operating Officer. Chief Operating Officer, that's the acronym. You're the CEO of an organization that specializes in selling microchips. And again, for context, the CEO is responsible for the daily operation of your company. You are responsible for the daily operation operations of your company. Your organization has two large sale teams, blue team and yellow team. They cover two geographic locations, but the team works together often, three, four times a week. They are on Zoom meetings, whatever, bouncing ideas. It is a it is definitely a collaborative environment, right? It is driven by collaboration. The CEO believes that collaboration brings out the best in everybody, not so much competition. Very little incentives as far as sales go. Everyone is paid very well. Incentives are a small part of the organizational success. One of your salespeople named Becky, we'll call her Becky, she's a top star. She's been with the company for 14 years. She has led the sales department for nine consecutive years. Her teammates, both teams, recognize her as the most valuable salesperson of the organization, the MVSP. More than anyone, Becky is approached by her teammates for wisdom and guidance. She is a role model. She's looked up to by her bosses and peers and subordinates. Both you and the CEO realize that the success of your organization 
is due in large part because of her her abilities and her efforts. She is a cornerstone of your organization. You believe that. The CEO believes that. The entire C-suite team believes that. You and the C-suite cannot imagine your organization without her. And Becky's teammates couldn't imagine life without Becky as well. So one day Becky approaches you, CEO, COO, and asks why she has never consulted on hiring and firing decisions within the sales division. She knows the insides and outs of the sales department, of sales in general, maybe on par and probably more than maybe of some of the C-suite members. She's visibly frustrated the organization has fired two sales members in the past, in the recent past, people that she deemed integral to the company's successes. The individuals who were fired were great team members. Their performance was average, but they were necessary for what Becky called team synergy. And lastly, Becky has expressed some of her frustrations publicly with members of her sales team and with members of the marketing department. So let's say you're front-loaded on this, this frustration with Becky, right? Let's not say that Becky just cornered you out of the blue. Let's just say you were front-loaded from maybe Becky's, Becky's boss. So how do you handle this conversation going into this conversation with Becky? What angles do you approach this conversation from? So an authoritarian-style leader might just crush Becky's desires right off the bat to provide input. On the flip side, a leader with a more democratic style might be eager to accept Becky's input, and I say eager, definitely eager, and might even be willing and encouraged to let the whole organization in on the decision-making process in an extreme move to include everyone's wishes. This is the far end of the spectrum of the democratic leader. So leadosophy is skeptical of either approach, the far end of authoritarianism and the far end of, of the democratic leadership style. I would prefer more of a tactical approach. What do I mean by tactical approach? I wouldn't immediately dismiss Becky's wishes and I would not immediately implement Becky's wishes or appease Becky. I'm not going to appease Becky. So where would I start with this conversation with Becky, assuming that we have an idea again about her grievances and we're not blindsided? How do, how do we choose to approach or through what lens do we have the conversation? I submit that this will shape and influence what we hear and how we will listen. How we go into the conversation will shape how we hear and what we hear and, what, and how we listen. We will choose or will we choose to show Becky how much value she brings to the organization? That's the first question. Or will we recommend that she focuses on her role within sales, stay in your swim lane, so to speak? And by taking that approach, do we risk devaluing Becky, which may cause morale problems? Or worse, it could cause retention problems. If this is the first I've heard of Becky's frustrations, here's my initial thought. Why don't we seek Becky's feedback for sales personnel decisions? Why don't we seek her feedback? If this is the first I've heard about it, maybe I didn't know that we didn't seek her feedback, or maybe I'm part of the decision-making process that is adamant that we don't seek our staff's input on hiring and firing decisions. We leave that straight to human resources. Now, this might be a dogmatic approach. I may be locked onto this mindset without being able to give good reasons why. So it would do me well, do me good to reevaluate maybe my thought process, my assumptions. Maybe the way I'm looking at this is wrong. Maybe I'm willing to look at a different side of the hiring and firing process. Maybe there are good reasons why we should 
sprinkle in other, other ideas, other inputs, other people into that process or those processes. Maybe Becky's thoughts add value to our overall decision-making processes in the hiring and firing world. Maybe Becky can provide some information or missing pieces to our decision-making processes. What do we have to gain for including her? And conversely, what do we have to lose? Those are questions I would be asking. If we include her ideas, will this cause issues with other employees who see themselves also as vital to high-level decision-making? Where does it end? Where does it end? So in conversation and dialogue with Becky, I would try and listen more than I talk. These are kind of the approach. It's kind of how I would let this conversation unfold. I would ask questions for the purpose of clarity. What exactly are your grievances? What have we not done for you? What are we doing well for you? I would take her thoughts and recommendations under consideration. Remember, Leadosophy has a leadership philosophy. And part of that leadership philosophy is human flourishing. I believe in collective human flourishing. So happiness is crucial to my leadership style. I realize democratically I can't make everyone happy. That's impossible. I've been in leadership roles where I know people are miserable. I feel like the environment is fairly good and people are still upset. People still complain. That's human nature. You're going to have that. But I want people generally to be happy. I want them to feel like they have purpose. They have a voice in the direction of the organization. I think that's important. How much time in our lives do we spend in wor- at work? You make the easiest math assumption, one-third. One-third of our lives spent at work, and of our adult lives anyways, of our working adult lives. Should we not be happy where we spend this much time? So when I was in a leadership role, I thought this was important. I wanted people to flourish. Again, I wanted them to be happy overall. I thought that was important. But I also realized you couldn't make everyone happy. So again, I would take her comments under consideration with this as my, with my philosophy undergirding my thoughts. Right? One thing I would not do is I would not apologize for the decisions we made as an organization up to this point. The decisions we made were the decisions we made without Becky's input. I'm not going to apologize for them if they made her unhappy. That's for Becky to, to work out. Again, the decisions we made were the decisions we made with the best information in good faith that we had at the time. Lastly, I'd try to suspend judgment during our initial conversation. Try not to judge what she is saying too harshly. I have to remember that it's easy to get defensive. I got defensive last night in a conversation that I shouldn't have. And it was easy to get frustrated and I had no reason to get frustrated, no reason to be defensive when someone was trying to provide me with, with really good feedback. I failed in that dialogue. I did. I'm human. But again, these, the way we get defensive, the way we get frustrated when people are providing critical feedback, this is natural, right? This is natural feelings. So I would seek understanding initially and not truth per se with Becky. Just try to understand Becky, where she's coming from. Again, without trying to judge too harshly. So then we kind of move into this post-conversation. We have this conversation with Becky in my scenario, in Tim's scenario, in my world, hypothetical world. So some, a post-conversation, a fundamental question might be, how can I use Becky's input 
to make our organization better, more resilient, to make our organization, put our organization in a better position to achieve our objectives, in a better position to improve our customer's experience, or even in a better position to attract high-quality talent, not only attract high-quality talent, but to retain the talent that we have already. We don't want to lose talent. We don't want to hemorrhage talent. So if Becky, our sales most valuable person, if Becky can help us do this, then let us figure out a way to use Becky. Let's figure out a path forward. Maybe Becky needs an official role that elevates her into vital decision-making processes. Maybe we create a new position. This is something maybe I would look at. Maybe we would create a new position formalizing her value as a thought leader, as someone that can increase our value as an organization. Contrarily, maybe we do nothing. So I'm cautious to avoid making knee-jerk reactions and decisions that are knee-jerk reactions. First and foremost, I think a lot of times leaders get into trouble when they make knee-jerk reactions because usually what follows in the wake of a knee-jerk reaction are very negative unintended consequences. Any decision you make, there's more than likely going to be unintended consequences. Maybe they're positive, maybe they're negative, maybe they're neutral. But when you make knee-jerk reactions, that's what leadosophy believes brings out some of those negative knee-jerk, those negative unintended consequences. So some final questions for you, the audience. How would you handle the Becky scenario? Let's just say you are the CEO, COO or the CEO for that matter. Let's say I was a CEO, COO, and I brought everything I just talked about to you as the chief executive officer. What would your input be to me? Now you have a chance to lead me. I'm the follower, the COO. I'm the follower. What are you concerned about in this scenario? What makes you apprehensive about including Becky in high-level decision-making processes and vice versa, not including Becky? What are our pitfalls? What are our blind spots? I've done an episode before on blind spots. Sometimes we miss what might be right in front of us. And sometimes we're just missing things because we don't have all the information. Maybe one of your employees can fill in the pieces to some of that puzzle and help you make a better better decision-making process. So I said at the outset, I was going to tell you in the end what my inspiration was to podcast about these topics. So yesterday, my wife sent me a, a clip of a media interview. And the interview was with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the star quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, an American football team. He was the MVP last year. I believe he was the MVP last year. A veteran in the National Football League. I think he's been in the league almost 15 years, somewhere around there, well over a decade. Since the offseason started in early 2021, it's been publicly documented that he and the Packers, team ownership, management, what have you, have not seen eye to eye on some key issues to include, and maybe most importantly, Aaron Rodgers not having a quote-unquote voice on key team-wide decisions that impact him as a critical component of the team's success. I'm just going to read some of the direct quotes from from the Monday's media interview. So they basically, as he returned to training camp, training camp started on Monday or Tuesday, I believe, 
training camp started, I think Monday, for the Green Bay Packers. And after the practice was over, he was in the media interview, and they asked him, what was it all about? Why did he come back? Because there was a lot of people that thought he was not going to show up for training camp because he, he has had some grievances with management. And he said, quote, this started with a conversation in February at the season ending, and I just expressed my desire to be more involved in conversations that directly affected my job. I wanted to help the organization maybe learn from them some of the mistakes they made in the past, in my opinion, about the way that some of the outgoing veterans were treated. And then the other part in February, I was wanting to be a part of conversations involving free agents, which has never happened in my career. I wanted to offer my services as a recruiter. The fact that I haven't been used in those discussions was one I wanted to change moving forward. I felt like based on my years, the way I can still play, that should be a natural part of the conversation. And then there was an article in ESPN, and this was back in May, and it was written by Rob Domofsky, and he kind of he encapsulates some of Roger's frustrations. Again, this was about almost a little over two months before Roger's interview on Monday that I just quoted. And Roger said in this piece, he was quoted as saying, a lot of this was put in motion last year, and the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played the way I played last year. This is just kind of, I think, a spill out of all that. But it's about the people, and that's the most important thing. He goes on to say, quote, I think sometimes people forget what really makes an organization, Roger said Monday. History is important. Legacy of so many people who've come before you. But the people, that's the most important thing. People make an organization. People make a business, and sometimes that gets forgotten. Culture is built brick by brick. The foundation of it by the people, not by the organization not by the building, not by the corporation. It's built by the people. I've been fortunate enough to play with a number of amazing people and got to work for some amazing people as well. It's those people that build the foundation of those entities. I think sometimes we forget that. By we, I think he's kind of inferring. I might be speculating here, but he says we maybe he's talking about management, senior leadership, senior leaders within the organization. So that was the uh, that was a genesis of why I wanted to do this podcast on kind of empowerment. How far do you take empowerment? Do you let key star players within your organization have input on some very high level decision decisions of your organization? How far do you let that go? When should you bring them in? When should you, when should you keep the door shut and make the decisions? Keep the decisions compartmentalized amongst the senior leadership, senior management. So there you have it. That is leadosophy. That is where leadosophy is using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership. A little bit of a sports analogy metaphor that kind of dovetailed us into this conversation about leading democratically, direction in the organization, and who gets a say in that direction. Let me know if you have some thoughts on this episode. You can email me, tim at leadosophy.com, or check out leadosophy.com if you want to learn more about leadosophy. All right, thanks for watching. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.